I'm Jacob Schatz. And I'm Bryce Miller. And this is Talking Atlas. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Atlas. There has been more than one spoiler season. Have been more than one? English grammar is hard. (laughs) At least one spoiler season episode began with Jacob and I just shouting. Screaming might be too strong of a term, but at least shouting. Hollering, I think, is the preferred term. Uh, Yes, hollering sounds good. It's pretty early for us right now, so we're not going to holler. But unstable spoilers are blowing our minds. I don't even know where to begin with all of this, and we've written up a detailed plan of how to proceed. And by written up a detailed plan, we at least mean discuss what we should do, and that included a lot of shrugging. So, we decided we're going from the bottom up, metaphorically, in that we're going to talk to you about cards in the order they were spoiled, because they were spoiled in a very reasonable fashion. But first, Jacob, what is this set? This is an unset. Something that we haven't seen for, I want to say, a decade almost? Yeah. Something like that. Unsets were originally intended to be a joke magic set. There's a couple of things that are intrinsic to unsets. The first is that they are all silver-bordered. Silver-bordered cards are not legal in any quote-unquote real magic format. They're not tournament legal for anything. And that's because the cards themselves are gags. And don't fit into your idea of rules, man. Silver-bordered cards make reference to things that black-bordered magic just doesn't have the rules for. They're not bound by any true hard design constraints. A good example of this is, back in Unhinged, a central theme was Artist Matters. There's the card Persecute Artist, which is one black-black for a sorcery. Choose an artist other than Rebecca Gay. Target player reveals his or her hand and discards all non-land cards by the chosen artist. And it is, understandably, drawn by Rebecca Gay. This is a great example of a quintessential uncard because under normal circumstances, every card that has the same name has to play exactly the same in Black Border Magic. It doesn't matter when it was printed, what set it was printed, whose art is on it. It has to play mechanically the same. This isn't true in Silver Border, and that is the tip of the iceberg as to the rules that unsets break. Also, I looked up the unhinged release date. At time of release of this episode, it will be exactly to the day, 13 years since unhinged. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's been a while. It's been a while. A lot of things have changed since the last time we got an unset. What we're seeing with this unset is that instead of being mostly in-jokes to Magic's history, there are modern design principles that are going along with the set. I need to get something off my chest. We have, in the year and a half and change that Talking Atlas has been going on, discussed the idea of unsets before. At the very least, Jacob and I have personally talked about our feelings on unsets. And my position has been, on a lot of occasions... I would rather not have an unset, because to me, (gasps) hey, wait, wait, hang on, don't, (laughs) don't try me for grand war crimes quite yet. I'm clutching at every pearl I have, Bryce. Grand war crime. I don't think that's a status of war 
It doesn't matter. Lovely and elegant war crimes. <laughs> yes, they were fant- They were fantastic acts of Simply treason. Simply grand. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Can we have a silver-bordered episode of Talking Atlas? I think we're there, friend. All right, good. I have said in the past, I have gone on the record or off the record, saying that I would rather not have an unset, because to me, the resources required to make an unset are resources that could have gone into a supplemental expansion with cards I could use, a conspiracy or something like that. That being said, I have been pleasantly surprised and even more amused seeing Unstable being spoiled, and it's because, like Jacob said, Unstable is a set with modern design philosophy. We'll talk some about what that means as we go through the set, but a few quick things. It has a cohesive setting. According to Mark Rosewater, lead designer of Magic and also Paragon of Unsets and creator of Unsets. That's why he's the the Paragon. (laughs) It takes place on a plane called Bablovia. Take that as you will. So it has that going for it. It has a couple of very distinct themes In addition to the themes like Artist Matters that play with Magic cards, it also has themes that are stuff we've wanted to try with Magic and Black Border, but haven't figured out yet. So here's an experiment, which is a little bit of a double entendre. Again, we'll get to it. All in all, I've been very satisfied by what I have seen of this unset so far. I'm looking forward to playing it a lot. I'm looking forward to figuring out how me and people in my playgroup can play with it, which... I will also discuss. I have some ideas, some solutions for an interesting commander problem here. And I'm excited to see what things are being done in this set that will almost certainly be figured out in future magic. Future is a great word to use because a sentiment that I've been hearing very positively from the community is that this set feels more like Future Sight 2 and less like Unset 3. We've talked often about Time Spiral Block, which at this point was probably 10-ish years ago. We're talking about a lot of pretty old sets. Time Spiral Block had three sets, Time Spiral, Planar Chaos, and Future Sight. They were respectively themed to be about the past, about the alternate present, present that could have been, and the future. Future Sight was filled with future-shifted quote-unquote cards. They had their own border, and the idea was that they were things from the future settings or mechanics or ideas that wizards could do but certainly hadn't yet a lot of them were seed cards for the upcoming set lorwin gold meadow lookout for example created a token that did not exist yet and the token was a card in lorwin graven cairns was in a cycle of lands it's the red black filter land you put in a mana and you get out red red black black or black red that was also in lorwin block or shadowmore block to be more exact. Unstable is doing a lot of those same things, except it's doing them partially because we don't know how we can even do this in Black Border Magic yet. In a sense, the unset is taking the concept of a joke magic card and instead using it as a testbed for new ideas. And oddly enough, a strong representative of that theme is found in the only non-basic land Black Border card that exists in this silver-bordered set. It is a card that is black-bordered and isn't a basic land. It is not a non-basic land. Oh, thank you. Right. Words have meanings here. This card is Steamflogger Boss. Steamflogger Boss was a card that was, funnily enough, originally printed in Future Sight. It's three and a red for a creature, Goblin Rigger. It's a 3-3 with other riggers you control, get plus one, plus oh, and have haste. 
And if a rigger you control would assemble a contraption, it assembles two contraptions instead. This card was printed as a joke because there were no riggers, there were no contraptions, and assembling isn't a thing that anything could do. So it was effectively a future shifted card that was a vanilla 3-3 for four and didn't do anything, but it had a lot of interesting rules text. And R&D said, oh, wouldn't this be funny if we could imagine a future where this card actually held some kind of meaning? But it doesn't, and it never will, so we're not going to worry about it. The downside with this plan is that this text was printed on a magic card. So magic players really wanted to know what all of these things meant. The other other downside is that I think the responsible person was Aaron Forsyth, who is currently director of R&D, said somewhere on the record, Oh no, that was just a joke. Like there's 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 nothing that we planned for that. So of course Magic fans went, "What? What do you mean we can't have these things that were never going to exist in the first place?" I'm outraged. So, fast forward to Unstable. Steamflogger boss is being included in the basic land slot because that's the only way that you can print a black bordered card in a silver bordered set, and it's being included because they've made contraptions and riggers and a way to assemble them. And to be quite frank, this is so weird. Contraptions are a separate deck of cards that have their own special back that also acts as a reminder for how they work. Let's get into exactly how contraptions work. Please do. Contraptions as game objects are artifacts, but they don't get put into your main deck. Instead, they have their own separate contraption deck. The only way to get a contraption onto the battlefield is by assembling it. Assembling is a keyword that exists on some cards and means flip over the top card of your contraption deck and place it into one of three columns. The back of the contraption cards have a helpful reminder with three sprockets, each corresponding to one of the three columns that you can put a contraption in. Jacob mentioned columns that you can place your contraptions in. They're the three sprockets. There's also a counter that, at your upkeep, if you control a contraption, you move the counter. It's called a crank counter. That's all caps with an exclamation point. You move it to the next sprocket at your upkeep, and then, quote-unquote, crank every contraption on that sprocket. So what it means is every time that you assemble a contraption, you choose sprocket 1, sprocket 2, or sprocket 3 to place that contraption onto. That dictates, then, when you will next crank that contraption. It also means you can dictate whether you want to have all of your contraptions on, say, Sprocket 3, so they all crank at once for, like, ridiculous effects, or if you want to have one on Sprocket 1, one on Sprocket 2, and one on Sprocket 3, so that you get another effect each turn, and it changes. I'm going to pull back and give one more quick summary, because this is weird. Separate contraption deck. They are artifacts that do live on the battlefield, but they only get on the battlefield by being assembled. You group them into one of the three Sprockets whenever you assemble them. They can be as spread out or as clustered as you want. At your upkeep, move the crank counter and crank the contraptions on that sprocket. The terms, unfortunately, obfuscate this a little bit, even though they are very flavorful. And that's pretty much everything. One other small oddity. They are artifacts. They do live on the battlefield. If they are destroyed, they are sent to their own graveyard that is referred to as, wait for it, the scrapyard. Ah. One last thing about contraptions, that is contraptions broadly, because we'll be talking plenty about the contraptions themselves throughout this episode. They are not silver-bordered. They're not even conventionally bordered, because all the contraptions in Unstable 
There are 45 of them. We haven't talked about this yet, but there are five factions in Unstable. Each faction has nine contraptions. The art for each contraption within a given faction is one continuous piece of art. But also, part of the reason these aren't silver-bordered is because contraptions are a thing that one day, maybe, could actually happen in black-bordered magic. To be frank, I'm not yet sure how to feel about that. But it's interesting. And even these contraptions, by virtue of their borders and their design, could one day be used in an actual game of kitchen table magic without having to make concessions to using silver-bordered cards. That is, as they say in the business, wacky. (laughs) While contraptions are a big draw and a huge focus in the set, some returning unmechanics that are completely unfeasible in Black Border but very fun to play casually have returned from previous unsets. As much as I like the possible pun, I think it's infeasible? You're probably right. (laughs) I've been saying un so much this week. Oh, actually, are they both words? Do they mean the same thing? Infeasible is defined as not possible to easily or conveniently do. Unfeasible is defined as inconvenient or impractical. So not exactly, but mostly. (laughs) That's so stupid. Anyway, we're talking about magic, not grammar. Well, we might have some grammar because there are a lot of jokes on these cards. One thing that has returned from past unsets is the use of external cards. More specifically, a sealed magic booster pack that just gets inserted mid-game. Summon the pack is seven and a black, and that's very satisfying to say. For a sorcery that reads, open a sealed magic booster pack, reveal the cards, and put all creature cards revealed this way onto the battlefield under your control. They're zombies in addition to their other types. Helpful reminder text, remove those cards from your deck before beginning a new game. Someone has pointed out that the art on this card has a bunch of very disparate creature types. There's some kind of beast, just a shark, just a zombie shark, a unicorn, and a homunculus. I don't know which setting this is from or which pack they've opened, but it seems to be a pretty good one. (laughs) Another mechanic that can't really be used outside of an unset is dice. Dice, say you. Dice, say I. Magic is allowed to do things randomly. Sometimes you discard cards at random, choose cards at random. Sometimes you even flip coins. But magic draws a line at rolling dice, partially because there's concern that the game could be compared to gambling, especially if prizes are on the line, but also because I will fully admit that I think it's not usually great game design. Randomness for randomness's sake especially when they're when the options are as multitudinous as a die and not a coin. It's not great to be like, yeah, this is a primary mechanic of our game all the time. The other concerns there are that it is a material cost that the game doesn't inherently come with. You have to assume that players are going to supply their own dice, and normally players are going to have their own dice because they're nerds in other areas, but it is another thing that you're asking your players to buy. Whereas most people have access to at least a coin. Right. And this set manipulates die rolls, which is something that Blackboard and Magic would absolutely never consider. Yup. As I mentioned before, we're making our lives easier by presenting you the cards in the order they were presented to the general public. So on the first block of them, there aren't any cards that manipulate dice, but there's at least one that uses them. It's a mythic contraption, so artifact of subtype contraption, called Hard Hat Area. 
all the contraptions have a watermark at the bottom right, not on their actual text box, but at the bottom right, that indicates what faction they're a part of. So this is part of the Goblin Explosioneers. It says, whenever you crank hardhat area, roll two six-sided dice. Hardhat area assembles a number of contraptions equal to the difference between those results. Difference between 2d6 is also commonly used throughout this set. Okay, now we've primed you with most of the mechanics that we know of that are prominent in this set. Let's start going chronologically, which means taking a small step back to some basic lands. Not just any basic lands. Oh no. Borderless, fullest art, John Avon, basic lands. In Unglued, the original unset, we had the first instance of full art lands in Magic, which would later be popularized by Zendikar, and they had art by beloved Magic artist John Avon. Unhinged had another quintet of full art John Avon basic lands. Unstable has fullest art lands. These have almost no border. At the top, they have their name, Plains, Island, Swamp, on a translucent swath. At the bottom, there is a part of a border and some black area with the magic hollow foil stamp. And then it describes the artist and the card number and the set and all that stuff. Other than that, it's all art, end to end. And as always with John Avon Full Art Lands, they're so pretty. They are really pretty. <laughs> oh my god, they're so pretty. And there's going to be one in every pack of Unstable. I have one small critique where the light is very strange in its behavior. For example, the forest is clearly a forest. You can see, okay, here's the, here's the floor. It's covered in foliage. Here's some gnarled trees. But it's also flooded with green light. Similar for the island and the plains. Look, my light is the color of the land I am. <laughs> that being said, still extraordinarily pretty and I want as many as I can get my hands on. Chronological spoilers? Yes, please. Let's start with a card that is very odd and has absolutely nothing to do with any of the mechanics that we've just talked about. Hangman. One black mana for a 1-1 creature human villain. As Hangman enters the battlefield, secretly note a word with six to eight letters. It has an activated ability of pay one mana, target player who doesn't control Hangman guesses the noted word or an unguessed letter in that word. If they guess wrong, put a plus one plus one counter on Hangman. Any player may activate this ability. When a player guesses the noted word or all of its letters, sacrifice Hangman. It's just a game of Hangman. It's just a game of Hangman. They turned a sub-game into a creature card. Unsets get to play with a lot of things within and without magic cards. That includes their type line. Villain is not a creature type that exists in magic, but it doesn't matter in Silver Border. I actually thought about this for a little while, and at first I was somewhat convinced that you could technically do this effect in Black Border because of secret information. The only problem with this is not that you're playing a game of Hangman, but that player decisions and the reveal of information don't come until too far after game state has changed. Because you don't reveal the word whenever it is guessed, whenever any part of it is guessed, you can just make things up technically. And that's a rules headache. That's the main reason why every time you search for a card, unless it's unconditional, you have to reveal it. We need to make sure that you're not cheating. But you could have a tamer version of this in something like a commander set or a conspiracy set that's built for multiplayer, because both of those sets have had secret information. They just haven't had other players interact with that secret information. 
but I think you could do it. Well, we did have the stalking Leonin that says you you basically secretly note a player. Right. Which in this case would mean you write it down, you stick it down, but in order to use its effect, you show who who you chose. Exactly. But that's all on you. I'm saying you could technically have a similar effect that involves asking another player to guess that previously noted secret information. Oh, okay. One set mechanic that we haven't talked a lot about, and really there aren't that many cards that we've seen that refer to it yet, is Watermark Matters. Unsets can use mechanically parts of the card that you wouldn't normally be able to. Hangman, for example, has a watermark of the, sorry, is it the Dastardly Legion of Doom? I believe it's the League of Dastardly Doom. The League of Dastardly Doom. There we go. There are five factions. All of them are allied colored. White-blue is the Order of the Widget. Blue-black is Agents of Sneak, whom we have seen almost no cards from. I'm reasonably sure that that's a joke waiting to be unleashed on us either because they'll be in the full spoiler quietly or because we won't know until the set is released. In red-black, we have the League of Dastardly Doom. Red-green is the aforementioned Goblin Explosioneers, of which Steamflogger Boss is a part of. And in green-white, we have the Crossbreed Labs, the most Simic faction ever, which I know is weird. <laughs> but I feel like they out-Simic the Simic, but they're in green-white. Make of that what you will. I justify it flavorfully because they're not really trying to make anything better. They're just trying to make things more. Ha <laughs> <laughs> I like that, actually. That's really good. There are two cards in the early spoilers that are heavily associated with the Watermark Matters theme. One of them is Stamp of Approval. Three mana for an artifact. As it enters the battlefield, choose a watermark. Creatures you control with the chosen watermark get plus one plus one. There's also the land, Watermark It. It has tap. Add CC to your mana pool. Spend this mana only to cast spells with watermarks. Flavor text, shopping list. Lamp hand attachment. X-ray contact lenses. Discount death ray. Two-headed hammer. Kittenfish. Oh, it's one for each of the factions. Ah, I love it. Oh, and the flavor text for stamp of approval is a truly symbolic advantage. It's worth noting this does not necessarily mean cards in unstable with a watermark. If you were playing casual magic and had a deck of all cards with a Simic watermark from Ravnica, so long as your playgroup is fine with you playing with silver-bordered cards, then you could have a watermark matters theme. And if you really wanted to get into a heated debate... Try justifying to your friends that the old Simic watermark from original Ravnica block and the new Simic watermark from Return to Ravnica block are effectively the same. And because there's absolutely no ruling on that, you will get in a fight. Coming in at possibly the best name for a card in not only Unstable, but in any set, Hammerfest Boomtacular also refers to watermarks. Three red red for an enchantment. Whenever you cast a spell with a Goblin Explosioneer's watermark, Hammerfest Boomtacular deals two damage to target creature or player. The reason that I mention this is because Hammerfest Boomtacular is not about building things, or it's not an actual explosion. It's a rock concert being held by the Goblin Explosioneers. Flavor text, it's less music and more straightforward hearing damage. This is something near and dear to my heart because I love heavy metal, and they've somehow managed to get a heavy metal card in this set. For the first ever Hasbro convention, or Hascon, if you will, there were three silver-bordered promo cards that referenced 
other properties owned by Hasbro, which is the parent company for Wizards of the Coast and consequently Magic the Gathering. One of these cards was a legendary creature card for Grimlock the Transformer. Another one was a sorcery, I believe, that was called Nerf War. And the last card that also is a mythic rare card in Unstable is Sword of Dungeons and Dragons, which I believe made it to this set because it just has the most overall crossover appeal. Sword of Dungeons and Dragons is three mana for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from rogues and from clerics. And whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, create a 4-4 gold dragon creature token with flying and roll a d20. If you roll a 20, repeat this process. This is in reference to the cycle of five enemy colored swords that give protection from a pair of enemy colors, red, blue, green, black, etc. And also have two triggered abilities whenever you deal combat damage to an opponent. These swords are extremely powerful. They're also very popular because it's easy to get them out early and start generating massive amounts of value from them, especially in formats like Commander. Sword of Dungeons and Dragons isn't quite that good, but still sometimes has relevant protection. Rogues and clerics are relatively common creature types, but it's not so good that it would prevent this card from being played in your commander deck with a particularly casual group of friends. Plus, it references Dungeons and Dragons and being a designated DM for Dungeons and Dragons. I'm so pleased. The next card on our list is perhaps one of the most important cards in this set. It is the Earl of Squirrel. For green green, for a creature squirrel advisor, both of which are creature types that can occur in Black Border Magic. It's a 4-4. It has a keyword ability, Squirrel Link. Damage dealt by this creature also causes you to create that many 1-1 green squirrel creature tokens. Creature tokens you control are squirrels, in addition to their other creature types. Other squirrels you control get plus one, plus one. Part of the reason that squirrels are an in-joke is because Mark Rosewater really likes squirrels and magic, and has a hard time getting squirrels into magic. Also, the expansion symbol for Unstable is a wrench with an acorn negative taken out of it. So I have to wonder, there must be more squirrels that we haven't seen yet, right? There's a couple that have been spoiled, so I assume there's more cards to come, but this is not the only squirrel in this set. But it is a darn good one. I am just as taken aback as the other non-Earl squirrels in this image at the squirrel whom sits like a man that is the object of this card. It's a little bit weird. Hey, Jacob, would you mind telling me what the next card is on our list chronologically that we haven't talked about yet? Why, Bryce, I believe that the card which you are referring to is... <coughs> Clock of Doom! Doom! Clock of Doom! <laughs> is four mana for an artifact. Four tap. Move the crank. I'm sorry. Move the crank counter. <laughs> to your contraption deck's next sprocket, and crank any number of that sprocket's contraptions. Flavor text. Perhaps you believe, even in these final moments, that you will be saved. But Doom has no snooze button, you fools. Baron Von Count. It's becoming a Talking Atlas in-joke that we say Doom in weird ways, but this card is Clock of Doom, all caps, 12 O's, and an exclamation point. Just so you know. I appreciate how this card's rules text doesn't sound like a sentence. <laughs> That's true. 
coherent magic text this is not. But we can tell you what it means now. It boggles my mind because actually contraptions are the most well-documented unmechanic in the set. They have rules that could function in Blackwater magic. All of the keywords and actions are well-defined because they potentially want this to have an opportunity to be in Blackwater magic at some point. But it just doesn't sound like it means anything. Moving right along now to... God, this card is such a meme. Crowstorm. It's the best. It's two and a blue for a sorcery. Create a one-two blue bird creature token with flying named Stormcrow. Storm, which means when you cast this spell, copy it for each spell cast before it this turn. All right, we're going to take it way back here. Stormcrow. Stormcrow, everybody. Stormcrow became a meme, I'm pretty sure, because of Urza Block. Is that correct, Jacob? Yes, that is correct. Urza's Legacy, Saga, Destiny, that trilogy of sets is well reputed for having been probably the most broken period of competitive magic in magic's almost 25-year history, due in large part to lands like Talarian Academy. Talarian Academy can tap for blue for each artifact you control, with no downside, as well as blue spells who had a mechanic that let you untap a number of lands equal to their converted mana cost. You can maybe see how this would be a problem. Stormcrow was a card in standard, or in, in whatever the it might have been called type 1 at the time. Type 2, extended, one of those. In the competitive rotating formats of the time, Stormcrow was a card that you could play, and it was blue. And all these blue cards are ridiculous, so obviously Stormcrow must be awesome. Stormcrow now is one in a blue for a creature of subtype bird. It has flying. It's a 1-2. It's also a long, long-standing magic meme. Now, the mechanic Storm is itself... Kind of another joke. Storm has been printed on three separate occasions? No, two occasions. Exactly as written on this card. It was a very broken mechanic in both instances. There are multiple cards banned in multiple competitive formats to nerf the power of Storm. And then you make this monstrosity when you bring Stormcrow and Storm together. Putting on my not-a-competitive player hat for a second, I'm pretty sure this is effectively a worse grape shot. Not necessarily. Grapeshot is one in a red for a sorcery with Storm that deals one damage to target creature or player, and, you know, you get copies of it if you cast a lot of spells this turn. Grapeshot is the primary win condition in modern Storm. However, it does play a card called Empty the Warrens in the sideboard usually, or maybe as a one-of in the main deck. Empty the Warrens is three in a red for a sorcery. It creates two 1-1 one, one red goblin creature tokens, Storm. The reason that Empty the Warrens is useful is because players might sideboard in things that give them hexproof for example if you can't target them with grape shot sometimes you can't kill them having empty the warrens then is very useful crowstorm if it's theoretically were black bordered i could totally see it replacing caveat again not a modern player not a storm player i know some i'm not one one mana less and making a fairly resilient flyer still seems about okay card has storm it's probably fine there's a series of three dice manipulation cards that just happen to be in a row here. It works out. Snickering Squirrel, also playing into Squirrel Tribal, so it has both of those draft archetypes in there if you really want it. 
One black mana for a creature squirrel advisor. It's a 1-1 one, one with you may tap snickering squirrel to increase the result of a die any player rolled by one. This is templated this way because dice being rolled is usually in the resolution of an effect. So it's not a tap ability because you can't activate abilities in the middle of an effect resolving. It also means that you can activate it on the turn it was played before it loses summoning sickness. It's just odd because it's still not an activated ability. It's just a static ability of the card that you can tap it. Yeah, it absolutely is weird. There's also Wall of Fortune. One in a blue for an artifact creature wall. It's 0-4 with Defender. You may tap an untapped wall you control to have any player re-roll a die that player rolled. And Squirrel-Powered Scheme. Two and a black for an enchantment. Increase the result of each die you roll by two. Flavor text. Lucinda didn't know which she enjoyed most. The science, the squirrels, or the maniacal laughter. I am right there with you, Lucinda. The squirrel in the art of squirrel-powered scheme is adjusting the art frame like it's a camera. Oh, you're totally right. Ah, it's adorable. That's hilarious. I love this set. All right, for the next card I'm going to talk about, I'm going to give you a bit of context. That context begins in Unglued from approximately 19 years ago. Oh, wow. In Unglued, there was a card named Timmy, Power Gamer. He's two green green for a legendary creature. Now, the unsets are going to get errata, or they're going to get oracle text updates, rather. They haven't yet. So right now, this just says Summon Legend. It will probably be Legendary Creature Human Gamer. He has an activated ability. Four, put a creature into play from your hand. So put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. He's a 1-1. With flavor text, just wait till I get my Leviathan. Then in Unhinged, we got to Johnny, Combo Player. He's a Legendary Creature Human Gamer, also a 1-1, with an activated ability of 4. Search your library for a card and put that card into your hand. Then shuffle your library. Flavor text, just wait till I get my Quark Clan Ironworks, Genesis Chamber, and Grinding Station. <laughs> oh yeah, and a second Mirror Retriever. So he is describing an actual combo. This cycle was just waiting to be completed. And now we have a third unset. And we have Spike, Tournament Grinder. Two Phyrexian Black, Phyrexian Black, for a legendary creature, Human Gamer. Phyrexian Black can be paid for with either a black mana or two life. Activated ability, Phyrexian Black, Phyrexian Black, Phyrexian Black, Phyrexian Black. Any combination of four black mana and eight life in between there. Choose a card you own from outside the game that has been banned or restricted in a constructed format. Reveal that card and put it into your hand. Flavor text. Just wait. I have a response. Here's the most important thing about this card. It's not the tightness of this cycle, because this cycle is amazing. Spike's a girl. Which shouldn't be surprising, in some ways. And I feel even weirder having been surprised about this card, because I am, for all intents and purposes, a girl. Being transgender is confusing sometimes, but that's what they tell me. <laughs> Timmy, Johnny, and Spike are psychographic profiles. They are terms that were conceived by Mark Rosewater, lead designer of Magic, as ways of describing how people play the game, what motivates them to do it. More recently, when Mark Rosewater has been discussing the psychographics, he's been generally using more than one term to refer to them, like Timmy and Tammy, and Johnny and Jenny, and then Spike. Because... Spike isn't really a real name anyway. It makes sense that Spike is the most optimized name out of the three. <laughs> yeah. And I will avoid 
going off into a Bryce tirade about gender roles or gendered things now, because that's this is not the time or place. I shouldn't have been surprised by the possibility of Spike being a girl, but I was, which was weird, and I'm really, really pleased. There are people out there who are not pleased. To those people, I engage many people daily in conversations about gender or diversity or, or what have you. In many cases, that involves me being very open about my own experiences to help this person understand me or understand their own experiences that they haven't figured out yet. And if you bump into me on the street, I will be happy to engage you in some dialogue about diversity, whether in magic or games or the games industry or any related topics. But right now, to those who are going, uh, why is Spike a girl? Uh, there are so few girls that play magic. Shut up. <laughs> Just stop right there. Because magic is a lovely game. It's an awesome, awesome game. I love magic. Jacob loves magic. If you're listening to this podcast, the chances are really quite good that you also love magic. I firmly believe that magic is the best game in the world. I want as many people to be able to play magic as humanly possible. And right now, magic has a big problem. A problem that is mirrored in gaming communities and the games industry and so forth. Magic is played by a lot of white dudes. Like, a lot. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the white dudes playing magic. It's worth noting that my co-host is a white dude who plays magic. Side note, there's plenty wrong with me. <laughs> but not with me playing magic. Not related to you being a white dude or a white dude playing <laughs> magic. I'm not saying that any of you white dudes out there should feel ashamed or anything. Like, that's ridiculous. What I am saying is that not all magic communities or gaming communities are open or accepting or creating an atmosphere that encourages diverse perspectives of people playing with those other people. And it is precisely attitudes like, why is Spike a girl? Or, psh, almost no competitive magic players are girls. Or, psh, girls can't play magic. It's exactly those kinds of perspectives that are going to drive people away from the game. Not because girls are any worse at playing magic than guys, or people who are neither guys nor girls, or anyone else, speaking as a girl who plays magic, and is really, really damn good at it. It's true. It's exhausting. Aw. You're very good at magic. <laughs> Thanks. Those people are not at base bad at magic, but those attitudes, if you have them, are liable to drive them away from the game before they have a chance to learn it. Have you ever been in a local game store playing Magic and the minute a player sits across from a girl, they go like, oh man, this is gonna be so easy. This is great. That's why there are so few girls playing Magic. That's not to say there are none. The demographics show that maybe it's like a quarter or a third, but there aren't many girls playing Magic. So in summary, in a roundabout course, I'm really glad that Spike was printed as a girl. So if you are someone who was made uncomfortable by the fact that Spike was printed as a girl. I encourage you to ask yourself why. If you think the outcome is that you are creating or have created environments where someone would be uncomfortable playing magic with you because of their gender or their race or anything about their background or who they are as a person or things they can't control about who they are as a person, I encourage you to make that better. And make those people comfortable. We just traveled a long, long way from a silver border joke set. <laughs> I, 
I don't even have a whole lot for that. I fundamentally agree. Because why the hell wouldn't I? <laughs> we still have a lot more on Sable to discuss, but I don't think we're getting to it today, Jacob. No, we got through maybe two, like a day and a half worth of cards because at its core, Unstable is so complicated, so buck wild of a set that we're only scratching the surface. Could you imagine if we went and talked about Rules Lawyer today? Oh, God. That would be another half hour of podcast. Oh, no. So you have that to look forward to in the next episode or next episodes because there's so much to talk about here. And I'm I'm really glad that there's a lot to talk about here. And it's for a lot of good reasons. Right. It's not just, hey, there's a lot of jokes that we need to go back and explain. It's there's a lot of new ground being tread. There's a lot of interesting interactions between cards. There's a lot of completely new space that can only be explored in Silver Border. And that's exactly what an unset needs to be in this day and age. It needs to be interesting and engaging and not just self-celebratory like some of the older unsets have been. Well, Jacob, if someone wanted to ask you about your latest squirrel-powered scheme, where could they go? They could find me anywhere they find somebody named Frogger, spelled P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R. That's Twitter, that's Tumblr, that's Reddit, and my schemes are for myself and will be revealed only when I will it. You haven't even gotten to Villain Tribal yet. I'm so happy for this set. (laughs) And Bryce, if someone wanted to get dunked on like the scrubs that they are by the inimitable spike that you are, where would they be able to find you? They can find me on Twitter as walking underscore Atlas, or you can email us at info at opalnebula.com. Worry not, I'm more of a Johnny Spike, so if I'm going to dunk you, I'm going to do it in a way that we all enjoy. For more Talking Atlas, find us on iTunes, Google Play, or our website, opalnebula.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please consider finding us on Patreon at patreon.com slash opalnebula. Backers of the Patreon can hear us record these live and in studio, I guess, on our Discord server. Whip the X's, pinch the O's, what Unstable is really actually functionally about, no one knows. But we'll figure it out together. And until next time, happy planeswalking, everyone. (laughs) 